At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? Well, praise God. It's a wonderful privilege for me to be here with my wife um, and with you and to open God's word with you. And, and I don't want to take any more time. You, many of you know me, so I'm just going to skip the introduction because Pastor Andrew's already given it to you. And we're just going to jump into the message. Is that okay with you? Okay. I'm going to put some dates on the board. I, I'd like you to tell me what you think all of these dates have in common. What do you think? Anybody want to give a guess? These are all dates that were predicted to either be the return of Jesus or the end of the world. So if the first one, 2000, was, was predicted by Ed Dobson and a whole bunch of other Christian scholars saying that's the year that Jesus would come back. Well, 2,000 years is what, um, a long time ago. Uh, October 21st, 2011 was the date put forward by Harold Camping. In fact, Harold actually, Harold actually thought it was going to happen in May of that year. And, and so he bought 6,000 billboards all across the U.S. with, with repent, Jesus is coming, and, and had a Twitter storm trying to get people to repent because he thought Jesus was coming in May. Well, he May came and went, and he realized he made a math error. He forgot a decimal point or forgot to carry the one or something like that, and he came up with another date, October 21st. Well, that was you know a long time ago as well. That didn't happen. The third date, December 21st, 2012. Does anybody remember that one? That was the year the, what was it supposed to end? The Mayan calendar. That was the Mayan calendar. Can you imagine standing next to a guy who thought that was going to be the date, like on New Year's Day? What would you say to him? Like, a happy New Year? Like, uh, well, okay. Did you notice the last one on that board? This is 2021. How did that get on the board? Well, there's a new theory. Let me just explain it to you very quickly. If you've been in church long enough, you've heard some of this. You've heard the the story that a generation is 40 years. Well, the new theory says that according to Psalm 90, a generation is about 80 years. 80 years. You can look it up. It's in Psalm 90. So they use that 80-year period, and they say 80 years from the formation of the nation of Israel is when Jesus will come back. Well, Israel was established in what year? Reestablished. 1948. 1948 plus 80 brings you to, I know you didn't come to do mathematics, but, you know, let's just go with it. 1948 plus 80 is 2028. Well, that's when Jesus is coming back. But if you hold to a futurist tradition, you know that there's seven years of tribulation, right? So if you subtract seven from 2028, you get to, (gasps) we're here. No, it didn't come. All right. Uh, It could be like the next breath. No, it didn't happen again. Uh, It could be like after this service. It could be like when you're sitting at the restaurant just before the bill comes. Yes, Lord Jesus. (laughs) That would be a great place to come, Lord. It could be the end of this year. It could be sometime. I think up in heaven, God is going, (laughs) all those humans, as soon as we come up with a date, God says, I don't think so. Like like the best veto power in the world belongs to God, right? Um, But it's true. Jesus could come back 
today. Amen? He could come back tomorrow. He could come back at any time. I mean, if you just think about this year, can you imagine how much mess we've gone through? And it's the end of February. Yes, the very last day. And what a year it's already been. Would you agree? What a 12 months. (laughs) Who would have thunk 12 months ago that we would go through what we went through? That we would be in the situation we are in today? Nobody knew. Nobody could have foreseen it. And yet here we are and people are, are heartbroken. There's anxiety. There's worry. There's unnecessary fear. And people are asking the question, what's going on? What do we do now? Could this be the end? And it certainly could be, couldn't it? And yet, that's the question people are wrestling with. We're in a series that we started two weeks ago called What Now? How tomorrow affects how we live today. In fact, it's a great time to pick up your Bibles or your electronic devices, turn to Matthew chapter 24. We're going through Matthew chapters 24 and 25, looking at what Jesus says about the future to his disciples. And we're looking at uh, the fact that Jesus told them that the temple that they love so dearly is going to be destroyed. And of course, that was very shocking and stunning for them. And so they asked Jesus the obvious question, when will these things be? And so we've been looking over the last two weeks, the answer to that question, what are, what are the things that are going to happen to bring about this destruction of, of their beloved temple? But in the midst of telling them all that, he did tell them not to be afraid when they hear wars and rumors of wars, not to be led astray when they hear false prophets and false teachers trying to Turn their hearts away from God. He told them that these things are going to happen because these things are meant to happen, but these are just the beginning of what? Birth pains. They're just the beginning of birth pains. But last week we saw the first time Jesus did tell them to be alarmed. He said, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing in the temple, flee, run because it's going to be brutal and it's going to be deadly for those who remain. And so today we're going to pick up the story in verse number 29. And we're going to look at this passage from verses 29 to 35. But before I do that, I just need to set some context. Because this passage we're going to look at today is perhaps some of the most hotly debated verses in all of Scripture. And so I just want to level set some things because all of us here are from different backgrounds and have different understandings of the scriptures and just need to talk about where we're going and what the options are that you can hang your hat on. You can take these verses we're going to study, verses 29 to 35. In fact, you can take all of chapter 24 and say, all of this is going to happen sometime in the future. It's called a futurist point of view, that everything Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, specifically this passage we're going to look at, happens in the future. There's another group of people who say that all of these verses in chapter 24, including what we're going to study today, happened in the past. It all happened as part of AD 70 and the destruction of the temple. There's a third group of people that believe that Everything in chapter 24, except for the passage we're going to look at today. Please, I hope I don't lose you. 
follow me, that everything in chapter 24 except the passage we're going to study today happened in the past, and the passage we're going to look at today happens in the future. All right? There's a fourth one. <laughs> this last one, I promise. It's the one I think is best. So you came here to hear the answer, so I'm going to give you the answer. <laughs> I think the answer is that it's both. That all of this happened in the past, in AD 70, and that all of this is going to happen again as an ultimate fulfillment in the future. It is called the double fulfillment of prophecy. And as you study scripture over and over again, you find that prophecy, apocalyptic prophecy, tends to have two fulfillments. One that is applicable for the people that it was said to, and another ultimate fulfillment in the future. It's the idea, I think, of Pastor Andrew said to you earlier it's the now, but not yet idea. So these verses, I think, if we take it as both applicable to the disciples and to the people of Israel in AD 70, and that it's going to happen again at the end of time where Jesus comes visibly and bodily to establish his kingdom, if you hold it that way, I think it makes the best sense of the passage. I think it's the best use of scripture as the Bible will get to interpret the Bible. So that's the overview of what we're going to look at today. Now, I do need to tell you that none of this will affect your salvation. Whether you're a futurist or a preterist or a, or a both or an and or you find yourself somewhere else in the middle, none of this affects your salvation. This is all an in-house debate. You understand what I'm saying? This is all within the family of God. If you are saved and sealed with the Holy Spirit, then this is stuff we can argue about, but we can still love one another. Amen? All right, so with that, as we look at verses 29 to 35, what I want to leave with you today is the fact that we can trust in the unchanging words of Jesus, that we can rely on the unchanging words of Jesus. That's the idea. If you don't get anything else out of anything else I've said, we can trust in the unchanging words of Jesus. So Jesus talks about three things in this passage, and the first thing he talks about is that Israel will be judged. Look at verse number 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So Jesus starts with the word what? What's the word, guys? And what does the word immediately mean to you? Like, immediately. Like, the Greek word immediately means immediately. It doesn't mean some other time. <laughs> when you tell your children... Go make your bed now. Now doesn't mean tomorrow. Now means like now. Or we're going to have different words. Right? People who, and again, I'm not picking on people, but people who say that all of this is only going to happen in the future don't understand what to do with the word immediately. They say, well, that's kind of mean something later, thousand years from now or something. No, immediately just means immediately. Immediately after what Jesus just talked about, which is the abomination that causes desolation standing in the temple, immediately after that event, these cosmic level events are going to happen. That's what Jesus says, right? That's what verse 29 says. So you can look at this and say, well, the sun's going to start uh, not shining, the moon's going to turn all this color, and the stars are going to fall. You can look up in the sky and like, be like Chicken Little, the sky is falling. Right? You could be like that and take it literal. But I don't think that's the best way to take that. Here's why. 
Because this is not the first time these kinds of images are given to us in Scripture. Let me give you an example. Isaiah, if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 13. Here's what Isaiah in a prophecy writes. Isaiah chapter 13. I'm going to read verse 10 and 13. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. That sounds very similar. Would you agree? Very similar. Almost some, some words very, very similar. So is this talking about an end time fulfillment, something happening when Jesus comes back, some tribulation period? No, actually, if you look at verse number one, it says that this is an oracle or a prophecy against Babylon. You see, God is using cosmic, apocalyptic, world-ending kind of language to talk about judgment. And by the way, this isn't the only place that he talks about. In just a couple more chapters, in chapter 34, he uses almost identical language, but not about Babylon, but about judgment on Edom. Ezekiel 32, another place, another writer writing, uses similar imagery to talk about judgment on Egypt. And so God is using cosmic language to talk about judgment. Why? Why does he use that? Because for the people in Babylon and Edom and Egypt, it's going to feel like a takedown. It's going to feel like their world is turned upside down as God brings judgment against their nation, as God rips apart that nation, God demolishes those governments, God tears them apart. It's going to feel like the sun, moon, and stars are falling on their heads. And here we are in Matthew 24 to this nation that was supposed to be the light to the world, to this temple that was supposed to represent the presence of God to the world, Jesus uses that exact same cosmic level language to talk about judgment that is coming against them. And so, why is it? Why is it that God is going to judge the temple, and by the way, not just the temple, but that city is gonna be demolished that nation is going to be torn apart. It's going to feel like the sun, moon, and stars are falling on their heads. Why? Because this nation that knew God went so literal to the letter of the law that they forgot the heart of God. They were so caught up in obeying and following the rituals that they had, that they forgot that it wasn't about the rituals, but those rituals pointed to a relationship with God, that God was more interested in their heart than in what they did. And so they forgot about that. They were so caught up in enforcing the law as they saw it that they missed the very presence of God in their midst. And Jesus over and over again demonstrated his authority, demonstrated his power, warned them of the consequences of rejecting him. Over and over again told them that if they didn't repent and if they didn't accept him for who he said he was, that judgment was coming. All because they missed the heart of God. And in AD 70, the Roman legions descended on Israel 
tore apart that nation, tore apart the city of Jerusalem, and demolished the temple so that not one stone was left on another, just as Jesus said. My friends, the question you and I need to wrestle with this morning is have you and I missed the heart of God? Have we become so caught up in checking the boxes that we have missed the heart of God that wants a relationship with us? Have we become so focused on coming to church and giving that we've missed a relationship with God? Now let me say on behalf of Pastor Andrew, coming is good, giving is good. Please come, please give, that's good. But if you're doing that as the way to God, you've missed the point, which is God is more concerned about your heart than in what you do. And so the warning that I think Jesus is giving us is that if it happened to Israel, it can happen to us. Friends, we cannot be selfish and self-centered and so caught up in doing that we forget that there is more to this than just the doing. God is more concerned about our heart and our relationship with him than he is about the things that we check off the list. And so we have to keep that in mind. And my encouragement for all of us, and myself included, is that we humble ourselves and we say, Lord, search me like the psalmist David said, search me and try me and know me and see what wicked way there is in me so that we can repent of our sins and get right with him so that our relationship is restored so that we don't fall into that self-sufficient trap that the Pharisees fell into, into that hypocritical trap that they were in where they missed the presence of God in their midst. So no matter which way you lean in, in this passage, the truth of God's word never changes. Our hearts need to be right with God. Israel couldn't get it done, and so God judged them and destroyed their temple, their city, and their nation as an example of what happens when we don't repent. The second thing that Jesus talks about in verse number 30 is that Jesus is, is enthroned. Jesus is enthroned. Verse number 30 says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. You know, this verse has been used and abused by atheists and Muslims and all sorts of other religions as a proof text, as a, as a reason why the Bible is not valid. In fact, Bertrand Russell uses this verse as his proof text to demonstrate that Jesus is a false prophet. Because as far as the atheists and the other religions are concerned, well, this verse seems to say that Jesus is coming back after the temple is destroyed, but he hasn't done that. So all of this is phooey. That's a technical term. <clears throat> that this is all phooey. And so they believe that because this didn't happen, Jesus is not to be trusted. The Bible is not valid. Well, that's certainly one way you can look at this verse, that this verse should have happened right after the temple was destroyed, and because Jesus didn't come to the earth, it's all wrong. But I don't think that's what this verse is saying. Does it say anywhere that Jesus is coming to the earth in this verse? If you look at the verse, it says that there is going to be a sign in heaven. You see that? It's a sign in heaven. In fact, this whole verse 
is a re-quoting of Daniel chapter 7. Let me read it for you. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Here's what Daniel saw in a vision. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Daniel chapter 7 is a scene going on in heaven. And in that scene, the Son of Man, that is Jesus, because the most most used reference that Jesus gave to himself is the Son of Man. So the Son of Man, Jesus, approaches the Ancient of Days, which is God the Father. And God the Father gives to Jesus glory and dominion and a kingdom. It's a coronation service where Jesus receives his royal crown as king of the universe. It's happening in heaven. This isn't supposed to happen on earth. And I know what you're sitting there thinking. You're asking, but, but I thought you said there was gonna be a sign in heaven. What's the sign? I'm so glad you asked. Well, you and I weren't there. So you and I have to use the resources available to us from that period. Tacitus, a Roman historian writes during that time that in AD 60, a comet appeared in the sky, a comet that was so prominent that many in the, in the Roman Empire started to talk about whether there was a change in the political scene at the time. And of course, you know who was emperor during that time, it was Emperor Nero. And Nero took that comet very personally and he used that as an opportunity to murder all of his children, all of his relatives, anybody who would be able to succeed him as emperor, he took them out. The problem is six years later, Tacitus tells us that there's another comet that appeared in the sky. That was Halley's Comet. But by then it was too much for old Nero who then took his own life. And Tacitus, if you read his history, tells us that there were wars and calamities and massive loss of life and, and things happening in the skies that nobody could explain. And I'd love to read it all for you, but we're going to run out of time. We'll be here till summer, uh, and, and you've got lunch plans. So I would like to read for you just something that Josephus wrote. Josephus was the Jewish historian, and in his book, The War of the Jews, here's what he writes. A certain prodigious and incredible phenomenon appeared. I suppose the account of it would seem to be a fable, were it not related by those that saw it, and were not the events that followed it, followed it of so considerable a nature as to deserve such signals. For before sunsetting, chariots and troops of soldiers in their armor were seen running about among the clouds and surrounding of cities. Moreover, at that feast, which we call Pentecost, as the priests were going by night into the temple, they said that in the first place they felt a quaking and heard a great noise, and after that they heard a sound as of a great multitude saying, let us remove hence. That's not my words. Josephus wrote that. He couldn't even believe it himself, that there were things happening in the skies and voices without bodies attached to them occurring. 
He couldn't believe it himself, and yet he wrote it because of the number of people that saw and heard it. And if all of that wasn't enough, Josephus goes on to write that in the heavens was a star that resembled a cross shining over that city for a whole year. Folks, things were happening in AD 70 that you and I weren't there to witness, but there were certainly signs. There were comets and lights and stars, oh my, all over the place. Jesus was being coronated in heaven. But you know, the king who is coronated in heaven is coming back one day, amen? We sang about that today, that one day he is coming back. The king that was inaugurated as king in heaven is going to be enthroned on earth and he is going to establish his kingdom here on earth. The first time he came, he came as a lamb. The next time he comes, he comes back as a lion. The first time he came, he came to seek and save the lost. The next time he comes back, he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. The first time he came back, he came to redeem. The next time he comes back, he's coming to rule. On that day when Jesus comes back to establish his kingdom, there will be no more fear. There will be no more tears. Death will be no more. And we, you and I, who know Jesus, will get to see him face to face. Church, are you ready? Church, are you ready to receive Jesus? He could come back this very year, this very moment. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready to receive your king? I am. I've been waiting for Jesus my whole life. I'm waiting for him to come. He may come in our lifetime. He may not. It's up to him. But the question is, are you ready? If you're not ready, the only way to know for sure that you're ready is if you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your heart. If Jesus is the ruler of, of your heart, then you are ready. If you're not, if that hasn't happened, may I honestly and humbly plead with you to come to know Jesus Christ by faith to put your faith and trust in him, to say, Lord, I'm sorry for the things I've done. I repent for my sins. I accept your sacrifice. And I ask you to come into my heart and be Lord and Savior of my life. And the Bible says the minute you believe in your heart and confess your mouth, you will be saved. And when you're saved, and when Jesus is the king of your heart, you will be ready. Because there's a day coming when Jesus will split the sky with a tr trumpet call. And every knee will bow, whether you like it or you don't. <laughs> because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My friends, it's time to get ready. If you haven't been ready before, it's time to get ready. If your love has grown cold, it's time to rekindle that love for Jesus. If you've walked away from Jesus, it's time to come back. If you don't know Jesus, Today's a great day to come to know him by faith. I encourage you not to leave today without making Jesus the Lord of your life. In just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. That's what the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 tells us. He will come because he said he's coming. And we can take him at his word. Amen? The third thing that Jesus tells us is that the gospel is global. Verse number 31, Jesus says, And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. The mission of the enthroned king of heaven is to take the gospel message global. And so here, 
The word angel is just the word for messenger. In one sense, I am the angel for you today. I am no means an angel in any way, shape, or form. My wife will tell you that. But in the sense of being God's messenger for you, that's who I am. The word angel means messenger. The, the reference to the four winds in Scripture just refers to the whole world. It means to the ends of the earth. The trumpet call is a wake-up call of the gospel that rings out that the king has come, he has died for sinners, and that he has risen from the dead, and that he is enthroned in heaven, calling all people to himself. That's the trumpet call. The, the task for you and me as the church of God, as citizens of the royal kingdom of God, is to take that message and take it to the ends of the earth. Now, the ends of the earth for you might not be global, it might be local. It might be in your family, it might be in that neighbor across the street, it might be in whatever circle of influence that God has placed you in. But as much as it is local, it has also to be global because you and I are called to take this gospel to the world because there are places in this world and people groups in this, on this planet that have not heard the name of Jesus and how sad that is. There are places and people that have never heard the gospel and it is our duty as citizens of heaven to take the gospel to them and to make them aware that Jesus is Lord. Friends, we don't have to go to Jerusalem anymore. We don't have to go to a temple there because that's all gone. Now, because Jesus came and died and rose again, we can take the presence of Jesus with us everywhere we go, globally and locally. So the question is, where is God calling you to go? Where is it that God is moving in your heart to take the gospel? Perhaps it is local. Perhaps it is somewhere and someone nearby. But our task is also to take the gospel global. And that can start with prayer. To pray for the nations. And I know what you're thinking, but I don't know anybody. I don't know the nations. I don't know who to pray for. I don't know what their needs are. Well, we have a very easy resource. It's called Operation World. In fact, they have a very simple website. It's called operationworld.org. It's a wonderful resource to know what are the nations, how much or how little gospel penetration has occurred in those nations, and how to pray for those nations. Yes, as we pray for folks in our families and in our neighborhoods and nearby, let's also keep in mind that we have a duty to pray for the nations, to lift them up so that the name of Jesus can be proclaimed to them. But in addition to prayer, you can go. Maybe some of you are called to go, to take the message physically to those nations to be a missionary, to tell them about Jesus, to tell, to tell them about the life change that occurred in your heart because of Jesus intersecting your life. And maybe that's too much, but you can certainly pray and you can certainly support those who are called to go. Folks, we are called to take the mission of Jesus global. And so whether it's to pray or to go or to support those who are going, May we support a global mindset. You realize that Jesus took globalization before globalization became a thing? Like in 2006, <clears throat> I work for Ford Motor Company. In 2006, 
They hired Alan Mulally as its 10th CEO. And when he came in, he, he brought what was called One Ford. And in One Ford, he got rid of all the market and region-specific silos. He got rid of all the local developed designs. And he said, we're not doing that anymore. We're going global. We're going to do one design for the world. We're going to start sharing resources because we're a global company. And because of that, we started, we as a company started making money again. That's a good thing. But do you realize that even before Alan Mulally brought globalization, globalization and going global are still buzzwords today. But the truth is before cell phones, and, and by the way, cell phones and WhatsApp and, and Facebook allow us to stay connected with people all around the world at any time. But before cell phones and the internet, before telegrams and printing press, Jesus was global. God was a global God. He had a heart for his people all around the world and he wants you and me to take that gospel to the ends of the earth. Friends, that's the call. That's the challenge. That you and I are to take the gospel everywhere we go. And then Jesus concludes this passage in verse number 32. He says, from the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Folks, wasn't it beautiful the last couple of days? Sunshine and 40 degree weather. I saw people running around in shorts and just enjoying their weather, right? Maybe that was you. <laughs> But in just a few weeks, our, our trees are going to start budding, aren't they? And then leaves and flowers are going to show you. What does that all say? It doesn't say that winter is coming. It says what? Summer is coming. Summer is coming. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. When you see the trees start budding and leaves start showing up, it means that summer is at the door, that all of these things that Jesus is talking about is going to happen, and it's going to happen to that generation. Those very same disciples that were listening to Jesus, that generation would see it all come true. In AD 70, all of it happened as the judgment of God fell upon Jerusalem, upon that temple, and upon that nation, devastating it under the wrath of a holy and righteous God. And just as he said that happened, one day the ultimate is going to happen. Heaven is going to break open and the Son of God is going to come. And he is going to establish a kingdom that will not fade or rust or be destroyed. And he will rule and he will reign forever and ever. Church, are you ready? Maybe? Is there an amen? amen? Amen. Amen. The challenge for you and me is not to put our hope and trust here. The challenge for you and me is not to put our hope and trust in a temple or a city or a nation or a person here. Because everything here will fade and rot and rust and can be destroyed. But there's coming a day when all of that changes. When he who is coming will come and all of the old is gone and he will bring in everything new again. I hope and pray you're ready. Folks, if you're not ready, please accept Jesus Christ by faith. Don't leave today 
because he could come as you walk out these doors. The last thing you want to do is miss it and wish you had. Today is the day. Now is the time. This is the place for you to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. If you have accepted him, I am so thankful for all of you. May I encourage you to take the gospel that intersected your life. Take it local, then take it global so that all may hear. And while you're doing that, let's worship him because he alone is worthy. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.